Start each day with a grateful and healthy heart. The heart is just an organ like so many others in the body, yet we attach all our life's emotions to this one organ. Today we're talking about how to keep a heart healthy. Hello and welcome to my podcast, Unapologetically KK. My guest today is Dr. Harish Mehta, who is a cardiologist with his own practice in Mumbai. Harish is like a brother to me. I've known him since I was a child and I have seen him grow into this amazing doctor that he is today. Hello, Harish, and welcome to Unapologetically KK. Hi, Kanchan. Good to hear from you. Thank you so much for doing this for me. I, I know you, you've been busy and you fit me into your busy schedule at the last minute. So I really appreciate that. I want to talk about heart health. It is a situation that we see a lot. We've either had a family member or known somebody who has experienced some form of heart issues. So today I'd like to really talk about what is happening to our heart has it gotten worse over the time and what we can do to make sure we have healthy beating heart over our lifetime so let's let's just start with where we are at and why is heart disease become such a big issue globally today as you are aware heart is the major killer all over the world and it's getting worse in the third world mm-hmm. and uh, we see more and more of heart diseases now in the third world because we are now a developing nation so when you are in developing nation you tend to be at the edge where you are started suddenly earning much more money right so the younger people have more disposable income than we had in the past okay so obviously we don't know how to handle this and with this disposable money available mm-hmm. the youngsters have gone into habits which are not good for their health so they right. have forgotten that they need to sleep enough they need to eat right they should be away from addictions as far as possible mm-hmm. and plus sleeping at odd hours that's really caused a problem and that is worsened with the bpo cultures where we are working in shifts so we really have yeah. lost the sleep wake cycle right so all this put together has contributed uh, to the problem of epidemic of called the heart disease and the globalization has worsened it so everybody wants to be rich quickly so they take up more than they can chew Right. So sleep patterns, I know, because I was going through this with uh, during my research and I also spoke with somebody else with regards to the stress that we take on and on at work. I was talking to a clinical psychologist about burnout and talking about stress. Oh, I heard about that talk. I right. did hear a part of that talk and it was really, really uh, insightful, I must say. Thank you. So one of the things that she was saying is just having a, a disrupted sleep pattern for just three days can cause you immense physical damage. And and what you're saying is obviously the same thing, that we are not sleeping enough and then we're not really doing anything about having a disruptive sleep pattern. But the other thing is the stress that we talk about all of the time. We are all stressed all of the time. It has become a word that we use, you know, in our daily life. Oh my God, I'm so stressed. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I, I Or I'm overeating. So all your addictions or all your, you know, going going beyond what you really should be doing, you chalk everything down to stress. And, and that obviously has a huge effect on our physical body and other than mental, because I've been talking about mental health a lot. So physically, what does stress do to our heart? So if you see stress, any stress, you can divide into two forms. One is fight, one is flight. Mm-hmm. So stress is necessary. Suppose you're faced with a circumstance like your 
in a jungle and the tiger comes across survival mode survival mode yeah so if you're not stressed at that time then you have a problem right you're too that, calm yeah so at that time you need to react so your body reacts by releasing catecholamines these are stress hormones which make your pulse go fast make your blood pressure go higher right. so that you can instantly react and do something about it either run fight whatever yeah. so that's a fight response or a flight response but if this stress continues for yeah. example the tiger is gone away the stress factor is gone away but you're still stressed because now you're stressed about work you're stressed about life you're stressed about family so we are triggering the sympathetic nervous system which releases these hormones continuously right and if these hormones get continuously released they are harmful for the body because you can't have your pulse high continuously your blood pressure cannot remain high all the time because all this effectively will have a toll on your heart right because your heart needs an optimum heart rate and optimum blood pressure to function mm-hmm. so if you're going to tax it more and more it's like flogging a dead horse you can't keep pushing a horse beyond the point and say you have to work you have to work because i'm saying right so as it it's going to break down at right. some point so as it is physically you're stressing it by working hard and double that you add the other uh, mental stresses around and the work stress around it so one day it fails and it fails by damaging your heart so let's just understand the heart as an organ you know obviously we all know what it does and you know the basics of it but but to understand what something like stress does to the heart what actually happens to it are you clogging your arteries are you because you're palpitating is it kind of the blood flow is not regulated or what what actually happens right so if you tax your heart in any form so your pulse rate is high your blood pressure is high so your blood vessels become stiff mhm so obviously when the blood vessels become stiff it's difficult to pump blood into them right so that's what's the one problem that happens with uh, increased stress second any of these enzymes which are released the catecholamines which i was talking about lead to atherosclerosis which is cholesterol and calcium deposit in the blood vessels and also the blood vessels which are supplying the heart themselves mm-hmm. so that increases with stress and third you are more prone to blood pressure and blood pressure also loads your heart so effectively you are damaging your heart muscle you are damaging the blood vessels supplying the body as well as the heart there is more cholesterol deposition so all this put together mm-hmm. is going to either lead to a heart attack or lead to a weaker heart right or a failing heart right just so as they keep saying right your pulse rate has to be less your blood pressure has to be low for your heart to be working at optimum levels exactly and and now there are a lot of things that people don't understand about heart disease and then we're talking about stroke we're talking about heart attacks we're talking about blocked arteries so there are a lot of different things that can go wrong with you if your heart is not working optimally so what exactly are these different okay problems so that coming to different types of heart disease the commonest which a man understands is a heart attack right heart attack is caused simply by blockage a complete blockage of blood supply to the heart itself mm-hmm. which are the blocked coronary arteries these are the ones that cause heart attack right but heart attack is something which can be fatal at times mm-hmm. so the best way to do is to prevent it so we'll come to the preventive measures later then the next type of heart problem which you see are dilated hearts or weak hearts mm-hmm. they called cardiomyopathies there are multiple causes due to that but the commonest cause which we see in our country is hypertension which is blood pressure diabetes and a lot of it is alcohol right even alcohol itself can cause dilated and weak hearts mm-hmm. and finally not to forget many people are born with a defect in the heart which is called congenital cardiomyopathies right so these are some of the heart defects that exist now this is related to the heart only mm-hmm. 
So there are problems which involve the heart due to other reasons. So pregnant lady, post-pregnancy can develop a weak heart. That's called a peripartum cardiomyopathy. And then there are people who have cardiomyopathy due to collagen vascular disease. There are some multiple causes. So exactly. we won't go into all of those. Yes, right. And regarding stroke, a person needs to understand stroke is not a heart problem. Stroke is a brain problem. Right. It causes a problem with paralysis because of the brain being affected. But again, the heart can be a contributor to stroke. Mm -hmm. If you have an irregular rhythm or an irregular heart break, there can be small clots formed in the heart and these clots dislodge and go into the brain and cause part of the brain to lose its activity. Right. And this can also cause strokes. So these are some of the few problems we have uh, dealing with the heart. Right. And I read something about heart palpitations and it said that there obviously there is a heartbeat that's optimal for you, your pulse that we measure. But what happens with heart palpitations and can palpitations over a significantly long period of time cause more damage or death even? Right. Heart palpitations are basically that when you start feeling your heartbeats. Normally, you don't feel your heart beating. The moment you feel your heart beating is a heart palpitation. Mm -hmm. Now, heart palpitation can be something which is not very bad, which is generally called benign. And there are something which are called malignant. Malignant means they can cause problems. The benign ones is when your heart rate rises, when you're under stress and it goes down. Sure. Generally, nothing happens with those. But the malignant ones are the ones that are problematic. The problematic happens in there is a pacemaker in the body, which is called a sinus node, which fires and gives you a fixed heartbeat. Mm -hmm. But this has multiple influencing factors like walking, exercising, smoking, all these can alter these. Sure. And then there's a gatekeeper, which is called an AV node. It controls the heartbeat and says, keep beyond the point, I will not let the heart beat faster than that. Right. But there are people who have a congenital problem, they're born with defects, mm -hmm. which bypasses this AV node and the heart rate can go up to 150, 200, even 250, 300. Can you survive that? So some of them can be managed with medicines, but if they consistently remain at 250, 300, it can cause a weak heart, mm -hmm. it can cause heart to fail, and really it can cause death. But the other forms of heart palpitation which we need to really worry about is the one that follows a heart attack. Right. These are called ventricular arrhythmias. They are arrhythmias which arise from the lower chambers of the heart. Now, these can be fatal if they are not detected quickly. In fact, most of the deaths which you see that happen, if you hear someone saying he had a heart attack and he died, mm -hmm. it is not the heart attack that has killed him. The fast heart rate following a heart attack, which was not detected in time, mm -hmm. is what killed him. Right. So that's why nowadays we are pushing the general public to... Learn how to resuscitate the patient. And if you go in malls abroad, they have a machine called defibrillator. Right. So the moment you find someone having chest pain or fallen down, the local public knows how to give shock to the patient and revive the heartbeat back to normal. Is there something you can do in that situation which would make it worse for the person? I mean, it's like oh. taking someone who's not really trained to use a very sophisticated equipment so. on a person who may die. So they, these courses are there for the lay public and if the person, person is dying and if his heartbeat is not felt, you're not going to do any more harm by shocking him. So I think, <laughs> I, I think he'll be okay. The only reason I'm asking that is because uh, I used to be a fitness trainer and one of the things that we had to do to, to get our certificates was to learn how to 
kind of get somebody back up if they're choking or you know I guess pump their heart or whatever so this was just you could be standing somewhere and someone starts you know faints or falls and you just be able to revive them till the emergency services come and one of the people who was our trainer there said that this is a very stressful situation so if you're not a trained doctor you really get stressed thinking am I going to make the situation worse for this person and I think that as a even as a family member is is something that that you stress about to say what would what would I do in a situation if I saw one of my family members suffer from something and that really brings me to my question to say what things should we be looking out for because you keep getting all of this information on the net or you get these WhatsApp messages which says if somebody you know is going through a heart problem or a heart attack or, you know, they won't be able to speak, ask them to put their hand up, all of different things. So what are the signs that so tell you this person is, is let's, going let's into a heart? Let's come to the fact that how do you deal with a patient who's dying in front of you, probably dying in front of you. Yeah, So. right. Uh, First, I would say don't go by Facebook and WhatsApp because most of them are unbelievable. And totally agree. You should not even bother about them. Go into proper uh, websites which are run by hospitals like New York Medical Center, Duke University site. You know, find information from those sites rather than trying to get from Facebook and WhatsApp. The Suppose you have a patient or, or a person, you can't call him a patient at that time, he's fallen down. The first thing you need to do is that just go and feel his pulse in the neck. That's not difficult. I mean, sure. If you can't feel the pulse, that means either his heart has totally stopped or it is too fast. It's about 300 or something. That means you can't feel it. So in such patients, you have to start cardiopulmonary resuscitation. And I think it's mandatory for every citizen to undergo a basic life support training course. See, yeah, I absolutely. think it's a must. Yeah. So you can revive him in the meantime. Can you call for medical help or a paramedical help? Yes. And cardiopulmonary resuscitation is not difficult if you learn it. Right. And if there's a defibrillator close by, he's gone anyways. You might as well give him a shock and see you might revive him. Wow. He's not going to die of a shock for sure. Okay. But he might survive because of the shock you give him. Sure. And most of the people in the mall would be trained for that, doing that. Yeah. Now coming to the signs, how do you know which of your family member or a friend you see is getting into trouble? Yeah. So if you have someone who's complaining of difficulty to breathe, he can't lie down, he can't sit, and he's complaining of heaviness of the chest and it's not relieving, it's going into his throat, it's going to his shoulder, it's going to be in the back, it's going to his teeth. This is all signs of a heart attack. So... At this time, it's no point wasting time. You should quickly call for emergency wherever you are, whichever country you belong to. And if you think that this is going to take a long time for the ambulance or a medical aid to come, quickly get him into any vehicle you can get and get him to the closest hospital. Right. Don't try to go to a hospital which is far away because time is very, very important here. And uh, important thing to remember is that if he's conscious, right. if he's talking, he's awake, but still in distress, then you could probably give him an aspirin, a soluble aspirin under his tongue and that would help him. Right. But please do not give sorbitrate because that's a mistake. Because if you give sorbitrate to such patients, the pressure would fall further and they can die. So avoid giving a sorbitrate to such patients. And if he's unconscious, suppose he's not conscious, then you should turn his head to one side so that he doesn't swallow his own vomit because these patients tend to vomit at that time. And then do the same CPR if it's necessary. Otherwise, you get him to the hospital quickly. But so, these are the things that you can do if someone's actually 
going to get a heart attack or is getting a heart attack. What about knowing what to do or understanding your body and saying your heart may be getting weaker? Is Are there any signs to say you're damaging your heart? Right. So now uh, what I described to you was a characteristic heart attack when you get it. Right. But if you get a milder form of such chest pain, for example, if someone complains that when he walks, mm-hmm. he feels a tightness in his chest or he feels that someone is choking him or holding his throat or he's getting jaw pain when he walks. And the moment he stops, mm-hmm. this pain disappears. Right. This is a sign of angina. This symptom is called angina. That means the heart is crying for blood because it's getting less blood supply. So these are the patients who need to be investigated and found out whether they have a heart problem or not. But not all patients complain of such typical symptoms. Otherwise, life would be very easy. Exactly. You would know that exactly. when to go there. Yes. So some of them will just complain of shortness of breath. Mm-hmm. What you need to know that it is something new that has happened. So for example, someone is climbing three floors every day and he's fine climbing. And then up four or five days, he tells you, try and climb one flight of stairs. And obviously, this is something There's new happening. There's a change happening. that's happened. So yeah. a new change should alarm you and find let you know that something is happening which we need to check it out. And this is commonly seen in diabetics because diabetics are known to have silent heart diseases. Mm-hmm. So they never get, almost never get chest pain because their nerves get destroyed due to high sugar. So they don't get chest pain. These either have a silent heart attack, which is incidentally detected when you go for a health checkup. Right. An ECG is seen or an echo is seen. Or they keep complaining of shortness of breath or just generalized feeling of unwell. Right. So okay. any doubt, get to a doctor. But that's that's actually, I have a statistic here by the World Health Organization, which says that cardiovascular diseases are the number one cause of death globally. And there's 17.9 million deaths, which is 31% of all global deaths. And we're talking about people suffering from heart issues who are dying. So obviously, we're not being able to detect it unless it's too late. There are a lot of people who are struggling. So what kind of tests? can you do? I mean, there is a certain age after which people do these executive checkups anyway. Would you be able to detect if you do a normal ECG or an echo or is there something more that needs to be done? And you know, because a lot of times you would do an executive checkup, if everything is okay, you turn around and say, I'm fine. But maybe there's something more that needs to be investigated. So how would you be able to detect that? So this is a very difficult situation because all the studies which you see all over the world mm-hmm. have been done based on uh, incidences and prevalences. So they will spend money more where it is needed to be. So many times you lose finding things which you need to find. Mm-hmm. I have a very simple way of investigating such people. First, you need to assess the risk of the patient. Okay. For example, we have risk scores available for people of any age group, which includes the age, presence of diabetes in the family and the person himself, presence of blood pressure, presence of other problems. Family history of heart disease is very, very important. Mm-hmm. You know, family history of heart disease at a young age. When I mean family history, father less than 65, mother less than 60, has a heart problem or something like that. Mm-hmm. Then you know that these family members, all of them are prone to heart diseases. And of course, history of smoking, history of alcohol, obesity, drug addiction. If you have multiple factors mm-hmm. involved, although the person looks healthy to you, mm-hmm. and if he has few of these factors with him, then he's the one who needs more investigation. Right. For an ECG, has no role in absence of a heart attack. 
Mm-hmm. A normal ECG does not rule out heart disease. That's very important to understand. Yeah. A normal echo again does not rule out the chance of having a heart disease. Mm-hmm. So one shouldn't be complacent that I have a normal ECG, I have a normal echo, I can never have a heart disease. Right, exactly. That's why I said, so you have to assess their risks. And once they have these risks, then you need to run them further either through a stress test or a stress thallium or put them through a specialized echo, check their lipid profile, check their cholesterol if they are high. And then correct them. Right. Of course, you can't be 100% right, but you surely can prevent significant number of deaths by such screening. But at the other end, you should not screen a young athlete who has no risk factors, no family problem, because otherwise you'll create panic in the entire society. Exactly. I totally agree. I mean, obviously, it's it's a very fine line between understanding what's going on with you and going for a specific reason to get tested rather than just being a hypochondriac and thinking, you know what, something is wrong with me because... There are people around you who may be having issues and then so you start to imagine all of these. And and I think with heart, it's so common. You hear so many people say, you know, my chest is hurting, my arm is hurting. This chest left arm thing is, is very common among most people. So that's the first thing they think of. I need to go to a doctor. Something is wrong with me. And, and obviously, I guess in some cases that might be better than saying nothing is wrong with me and then having an issue later on. Um, so So I'd like to talk about what we can do to prevent these issues. So you're a healthy individual. I know you've talked about alcohol and smoking and, you know, obviously food and lifestyle. We've talked about sleep and we know we should be doing that. That's that's just general health 101. What else can we do? Because we're already living in a world that is not able to handle that, is not eating well, is not really doing what they need to be doing for their body. And we don't need to wait to have issues with our heart or any other organs in our body to do something. So what are the things okay. that we must I think the first thing that people have to accept that they have a problem because we probably think that all the problems happen to our neighbors can never happen to us mm-hmm. so that's the biggest problem and we forget that we are mortal we start thinking we are immortal the moment we are born mm-hmm. and but we don't realize that we are actually reducing a day every day of our life yep. so once you realize that it's easy because most of the patients I see they are only interested in the money they need make and the wealth. And I told one patient that you need to get admitted, you have a heart problem. He said, my business will suffer. <laughs> so I was really shocked. I said, yeah. if you're not going to be there, if yes. you're not alive, how's the business going to matter? Yeah. So they need to prioritize that health has to be priority. Yeah. Once they prioritize that, then obviously you can tell them what to do. So we have discussed the preventive measures in the form of addictions and diet and all that. But I think the biggest problem is stress. Mm-hmm. In this globalization world, we need to deal with stress. And unfortunately, our way of dealing with stress has been faulty. Mm-hmm. We've been dealing with stress by uh, taking sleeping pills and taking antidepressant medicines. Right. So that will temporarily solve the problem, probably, probably for a few days or a few months. But it's not going to get you out of it because you've not gone into the source of the problem. Mm-hmm. Why are you stressed? Why are you depressed? What is making you like this? What is going wrong with you? So in this, I would say a major role player is, of course, accepting that you have a problem. Right. And second, seeking help, as you had mentioned in your podcast. So mental health is very, very important. You need to go to a counselor if you feel that you're not being able to handle your stress. And the most important thing that people have to reduce the expectations out of themselves. Mm-hmm. Because they expect more than they can deliver. Yeah. So in that way, I feel some form of meditation could help them. Mm-hmm. Because if you go into history of meditation and the outcomes of meditation that have been seen, that any form of meditation, of course, improves your spiritual health, 
makes you more compassionate, sympathetic. All of that is there. It gets you to be a better human being. But at the physical level, it tends to bring down your pulse. So meditators have a generally lower pulse rate than a non-meditator. At the same level of stress, mm-hmm. they have a lower blood pressures. They have lower cholesterol, lower sugar. So obviously, if you have all these factors which are going low with the meditation, and of course, they sleep better, their quality of sleep is better. Right. So you're reducing all these risk factors just by simple meditation. So obviously, you're going to live longer and better. Now, I know you're saying this because you practice this yourself. So you're talking from experience. And I really want to get a little bit more into this with you. You are saying that there is enough evidence to show that meditation doesn't just help you mentally and spiritually. It does have effects on your physical body as well. And then it's not only about my personal experience because personally, heart disease, of course, I don't have one, but I, I am prone to one. But I'm telling you out of studies which have been done all over the world. So it's not a study done by me. Right. So American Heart Association and American Cardiology Association, it's called AHACC, have put out guidelines for mm-hmm. management of heart attack and heart failure. And in lifestyle modification, they have introduced meditation as a therapy. Right. So why would such a reputed organization bring something like meditation into their therapy because they say this will help you prevent recurrent problems. Right. So obviously they also have reason to believe so. So there is a study on mindfulness. It was heard of mindfulness. Yes. Of course, I'm from the Heartfulness Institute. We do the same research also. They did research on people and checked their heart rate variability. Mm-hmm. Heart rate variability is the time interval between two heartbeats, which we cannot measure because... You cannot measure between two heartbeats, but the machine measures. Right. So those who have a high heart rate variability are generally meditators. Mm-hmm. And non-meditators have a low heart rate variability. Right. And they found that people with high heart rate variability had lesser heart attacks, lower blood pressure, were dying less of heart failure and living longer. Right. And this was all in addition to the medicine they were taking. So the effect was in add-on to what other medicines and other things you were doing. Right. So this clearly showed us that this does work. And there's a sleep pattern which we measure with meditation, which is called an EEG. Mm-hmm. So they found that meditators had some areas in the brain better developed than non-meditators. Right. Which made them more calm and more acceptable. And also they had areas where their connection between the brain had increased. Mm-hmm. And their sleep pattern, they would get into deep sleep faster than anybody else. Right. And their sleep pattern where the organs get repaired mm-hmm. was more in people with meditators. Right. So it improves the quality Absolutely. of your sleep as well. It's Absolutely. not just the time that you're So it's overall holistic appearance. So in terms of meditation and just, just going on with it a little bit longer, uh, what exactly would you recommend as something that would have a positive effect. So we're not talking about, because I think when people talk about meditation, spirituality, again, it comes back to, I don't have time, I can't do it. And uh, I uh, I went to a yoga retreat in Bali. And one of the things that they were saying that this is something that you put into your day as you would brush your teeth or, you know, have breakfast and do something. It's part of your routine. So even if you can find five minutes a day and you have a 
those extra five minutes, it could be in the office, it could be in your car. You know, if you can find that time to just get within yourself and just calm yourself down, even that would have a positive effect. So it's not about sitting down for an hour in a place that you set aside for meditation and, you know, and then say, oh, I really don't have the time to do that. It could be something really simple and for a much shorter period of time. So people generally have misunderstood meditation, as you rightly said. It's more about time for yourself. So you need to first prioritize that I need me. Right. People don't understand I need me. They always say I need my aunt, I need my sister, I need my brother. I need me. Mm-hmm. So the me time is important. Yes. You can start with five minutes. It doesn't matter. Who's telling you to do one month, one hour in the first day itself? Right. It's an evolutionary process. So when the kid grows, he walks four steps, then he walks kilometers in the end. Mm-hmm. So same way, you meditate five minutes. Just find time for yourself. Sit alone, sit silently and see the wonders it does for you. For example, if you are uh, traveling in a city like Mumbai or New York mm-hmm. and to go from point A to point B is going to take one hour, right? Right. Now, whether I get angry or I don't get angry, whether I see the traffic, I don't see the traffic is going to take that one hour. Yes. So might as well not bother about the traffic in one hour. And if you're chauffeur driven, Use that time for yourself. Absolutely. You could be, well, like you could be on a train, you could be on a bus, anywhere. you could be anywhere where you're not driving yourself. Because Absolutely. Time, time taken is not going to change. Yeah. So once you accept that it's not going to change, you change yourself. I totally agree. And I want to talk a little bit about technology here. Um, we talked about the defibrillators. Okay. <laughs> the defibrillators. And I want to talk about these heart rate monitors that everyone seems to be having now. It's It's on your watch. Um, you're looking at your heart rate all of the time, you know, if it's up, you're worried. If it's low, you feel happy because I guess the more you work out and the fitter you, fitter you are, the lower your heart rate. Is it a good thing? Well, it's increasing my patient base. <laughs> <laughs> In that way, it's a good thing. Yeah, but actually it's a good thing provided it is understood the right way. Exactly. So you can't keep checking every five minutes what's your heart rate doing. Mm-hmm. If you feel unwell, then probably you can scan and see what's happened to your heart rate. Right. If you're doing well, why do you want to keep checking your heart rate in ECG every five minutes? Mm-hmm. That's going to, actually, this was designed for people who have uh, irregular heart rate, something like atrial fibrillation. Right. To alert the doctor that you're having this and you can send in the ECG. Yes. Or you can use it as an athlete because then you know what is your target zone and all that. Exactly. I was just going to say that. I think when it first came out, it was to measure your optimal heart rate Absolutely. where you have the most fat burning. Yes. That's that's my research. That's what it says. So this is for people who wanted to lose weight, who were going into the gym and who were like, there is an optimal heart rate, which is not too high. So you're not going above the 160. You, there's a zone between the 130 and the 160. And if you work out 20 minutes or more within that zone, that's going to have the best effect on your fat burning. And that's where it started. But now we have this, this crazy technology, which is on your wrist, which talks about everything. It's telling you, you know what, you need to go see a doctor right now. So there is a lot of stuff that's happening. We don't understand the technology. It's like our phone. We never use everything that we have on our phone. But every time, you know, a year later, a new phone model comes out, we go and buy it without knowing what we're buying into. So technology can be harmful if you don't understand what you're using it for. It should be used as a positive reinforcement rather than a negative reinforcement. So it should be like reminding you that your better exercise is good. Exactly. But it should not keep reminding you you're ill, you're ill, you're ill. 
Absolutely. Well, my watch keeps telling me it's time to get up and, you know, finish your steps because you, you've been sitting for too long and not doing anything. But what really uh, is from a heart rate perspective, what should we be looking out for on our heart rate monitors? So ideally, the heart rate should be between 60 to 100. Okay. That's what it should be. That's for resting? Me. Yes, resting also should be towards 60. Mm -hmm. But if it tends to go up very often, then it's not a good thing. Then you need to work on it. Right. But that doesn't mean you're still uh, in the reason, uh, in the zone of being ill. You're probably in the zone of being unfit. So you need to get fitter. Right. That's all it is. So yeah, when does it become a problem? If it, I mean, so you know, you have your regular stress. Let's say your heartbeat goes up when you're stressed out, but you know you're stressed out and it comes back down. It's not something okay. you need to worry about. No. But if it stays at a certain yes. high level... Yes. And for how long should it be kind of it's at that level like for you to start worrying? No, that's, that's difficult to predict because some people take a longer time. But the simple uh, fact behind this is that if your heart rate rises with stress, mm -hmm. it should come down soon. If it takes a very long time to come, come down, then it's not good. That means it's going to damage you in future. So that's when you need to start working on yourself and probably consult your doctor okay, why is your heart rate being high consistently. That's very important. So many of the time you could have an occult thyroid disorder and you've not realized it. Right. And your heart rate remains high. Right. So if it doesn't come down despite you being non-stressed, you're all set, you're all okay, and you, yet your heart rate is high, then obviously you need to see about it. So tell us the three things we should be doing today that is going to either make us better or going to make sure that we're going to prevent something happen, from something happening to us. The three things that we all can do and we all should do. I would say uh, most important is to be aspirational rather than ambitious. Mm -hmm. I hope you know the difference between aspiration and ambition. I do. If you're very ambitious and not aspirational, it's not a great thing. So mm -hmm. be aspirational. Second is be away from addictions. That's very, very important, especially for the youth of today. Mm -hmm. And third is sleep and eat well and take care of yourself. That's about well, there you have it. That is from a doctor who meditates. He knows what he's talking about, so you need to listen. Thank you so much, Harish. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Nancy. Thank you very much. There you have it. A cardiologist telling us exactly what we need to do to have a healthy beating heart. As he tells us, aspirations versus ambition. Aspirations are ideals and noble thoughts that one hopes for oneself whereas ambition is just a strong desire to achieve a goal in life. You decide, do you want to be ambitious or do you want to aspire for a healthy, beautiful life? This is Kanchan Kulkarni saying goodbye for now and speak to you again soon.